Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. If you're interested in more information about our church, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church. Needless to say, um, some interesting things have uh, taken place in our nation and uh, just everything that's been kind of going on. And, uh, you know, if you're like me, which, uh, you know, since we're all human, you're probably kind of wondering, like, man, when is this ever going to end, right? But uh, I want to I encourage you and, uh, you know, just trying to remind you that um, God is the one that is in control of everything, ultimately, Right? And uh, we're reminded time and time and time again, don't worry, don't fret, don't be anxious. He's got it under control, okay? And so we gotta remember to keep, uh, keep our thoughts on him. Remember that uh, he's the one that uh, controls everything. He's the one that ordains everything. He's the one that permits everything, allows everything, and allows everything to fall into his plan, his time, and uh, just in his perfect timing with, with everything that he's doing. I'm often reminded of that scripture in uh, Galatians 4.4, 4, where it says, uh, in the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, right? And uh, so in all the exact timing of everything, God does what he's going to do best, and that is be in control. And uh, so we need not uh, worry or fret uh, with everything else that's going on in our lives or in our country because the Lord is in control of all of that. But uh, seek to uh, be an encouragement and help to you uh, this morning as uh, we're gonna be looking here out of uh, Philippians chapter number two. And uh, we've been working through this letter here and uh, we've been seeing Paul has been stressing this idea of uh, unity, humility, uh, he's spent uh, quite a, an extensive time talking about uh, some of these things. Um, we talked about it in uh, chapter one, verse number 27, when he first mentioned it about, um, you know, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. There's the unity with one mind, unity again, striving side by side, there's unity again. Um, he talked about it in uh, <clears throat> chapter number two, verse number two about... Uh, Complete my joy being of the same mind. There's the unity, having the same love. There's unity again, being in full accord of one mind, unity again. Uh, then he gave us that uh, great example of humility as he talked about Jesus, right? Like Jesus leaving heaven, the glories of heaven, and uh, coming down, uh, taking upon himself the form of a servant, becoming obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so he gives us that supreme example of humility. And uh, then we talked a little bit about the whole idea that uh, God working in us uh, to uh, do these things that he's working in us to do of his will and good pleasure. So whatever God is doing in our lives, whatever things he's permitting in our lives, we shouldn't be complaining about that. And that really picks us up to here where we're gonna be looking here in uh, Philippians chapter number two. And we're gonna look here at uh, three examples, uh, probably not all three today, but uh, we'll see where we get. But uh, we're gonna look here primarily um, at some examples that uh, were given about some men, Timothy, Paul, 
and Epaphroditus. And all three of these men here are great examples of humility and unity, humbleness. Um, and Paul's going to share with us a little bit of uh, how they actually live these things out. And what's interesting to think about this is, remember where Paul was? Where was he? He's in prison, right? He's chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week, under house arrest. And the people that were there present with him was Timothy and Epaphroditus. And uh, so I'm sure they're writing, Paul's writing this letter here, and uh, he's talking about Timothy, he's talking about Epaphroditus. And remember, it was Epaphroditus who came to Paul with a financial gift from the Philippian church. And Epaphroditus is there, and uh, Paul is going to tell some things about him. But, uh, you know, one of the things we're going to be primarily looking at here is about being a joyful servant, because I think you'll see that as we'll examine the lives of these three men, both uh, uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus and Paul. And uh, we'll see how that they were uh, joyful servants, how that these men, they, they modeled servanthood. Uh, because of the great example of Jesus Christ that uh, even Paul told us about in uh, Philippians chapter number two. So this is what I'd like for you to take away with you today. Be a joyful servant by following the example of Christ. Be a joyful servant by following the example of Christ. So let's take here, look here at uh, first one here about Paul. And uh, we're gonna read here verses 17 and 18. He says here, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice. See, there's the joy with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, if you remember, Paul was just talking about finishing well, right? The whole idea of striving. Remember, he says, we're running this race, we're striving, we're contending that I did not run in vain. He's saying, I want my life to finish well. It's not how you start, but it's how you finish is what matters, right? Um, so Paul is saying, I wanna finish well, I'm striving. And he tells us here, he switches his language and now he's talking about things that are very vivid. Look at these images that he's giving. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So he, he tells us some things here about his, his life and Paul's life was a drink offering. Now, what's interesting about this, these words, offering, sacrifice, faith, you see them there? Offering, sacrificial offering, faith, all these words here speak of a sacrificial offering. There's something there that's, that's sacrificial. Now, no doubt, Paul is, is taking this language out of the Old Testament, right? About the Old Testament sacrifices. And it wasn't just uh, the Jews that had sacrifices. I mean, pagans, I mean, they'd take heads off chickens and pour out blood and, you know, offer them to their God, Diana, and, you know, Zeus and all this kind of stuff. So this language is speaking to them. But what does this speak to us? I mean, are we, did anybody bring a ram with them today or a lamb or a goat or a turtle dove? Did you guys bring one today? I mean, are we doing an offering in the back, back there and having a burnt offering offered up? It's going through the bell tower? No. 
Okay, so what, what are we learning from all of this? What is he talking about, about being a drink offering? So let's take a look here at this picture Paul is giving to us. And it's this idea of a sacrifice. And uh, so Paul is talking about this. He, we have this picture here. There's an altar and there's a sacrifice that's being made, a sacrificial offering. But he talks about this drink offering, okay? So this is the picture that's in his mind, a sacrificial offering that he's talking about. And as he looks at his life, because he says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering, my life being poured out as a drink offering, he's talking about his life here. He's talking about this idea that if this is to happen, I'm going to do it with what? Look what he says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. You see the connection there? He says, no matter what God is bringing into my life, I just told you about not complaining, not grumbling, not disputing. Whatever God is bringing into my life, I'm not gonna complain about it. Rather, I'm going to rejoice about it. Even if I am a drink offering that's being poured out. He says, I'm going to rejoice with you all. I'm gonna be glad about that. And that's why he says here, likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So let's talk here a little bit briefly about what this drink offering was. What is that? What is a drink offering? Well, back in the day when they used to make these offerings, they would bring the, the animal that they were gonna offer and uh, they would slit its throat and they'd pour out the blood and they'd offer it there on the altar and there would be a consuming fire that would consume that sacrifice. But then on top of that, what would end up happening is uh, there would be, let me see if I got, I don't have a cup up here, that's okay. Pretend I got a cup here, okay? Uh, they, they would offer that, that, that sacrifice and they would take more likely a, a cup of wine and they would pour it on top of that sacrifice, okay? So now you got liquid being poured on top of this fire, right? What happens when you pour liquid on top of fire? Right? How many of you guys have ever been to the hibachi grill? Right? You go over there and you pile up your plate with the chicken and the beef and the egg and the uh, onion and broccoli and all that stuff and you give it to the guy and he throws it on the grill and he's right it's cooking up and then he usually gets a, a bottle of what some kind of sauce right and what happens right that's the idea that Paul is giving us here he's saying I am that drink offering that's being poured out upon what look what he says the drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. And so Paul says that drink offering is my life here. He says, I'm offering my life as a drink offering upon this other sacrifice, on another sacrifice. And this is the completion of this full sacrifice that they would do. They'd pour out this drink offering there. Now, I don't think this was going to be something future in the fact of, you know, in his future martyrdom. I mean, even though Paul was going to be martyred, eventually he was gonna be beheaded, right? 
But I don't think he was talking about that future tense because, in fact, he, ever, he actually thought that he was going to be leaving out of prison. He says, hey, I, I plan to come and see you, right? But Paul is saying, this is what I am right now. He says, my life is being poured out now as a sacrifice, and I'm not complaining about it. I'm rejoicing about it. And it's something that's happening right now. Now notice again here in verse number 17, look what he says. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So there's that drink offering, but look at this. There's, this, there's a greater offering and it's a sacrificial offering. And so the drink offering is Paul's sacrifice, but the greater sacrifice he indicates is that of the Philippian church. He says it's the, it's the sacrificial offering of what? Your faith is what he's saying there. And so this is a very powerful point to get a hold of because I'm poured out as a drink offering on top of upon the real sacrifice, which is your sacrificial offering of your faith. Paul says, you guys are the ones that is making the greater sacrifice. He says, I'm just the drink offering. He says, I'm the one that's just being poured out on top of it. You're making the huge sacrifice, your sacrificial offering of faith. I'm just the topping off on top of it. So here's a good question. Because if we were to look at the life of Paul, would you say that Paul was the one that was making the greater sacrifice? I mean, Paul's in prison, right, for preaching the gospel. He's been under intense persecution. Wouldn't we say that Paul is the one that's having the greater sacrifice here? He doesn't say that. He says, you guys have the greater sacrificial offering. I'm just the drink offering. Why does he say that? He says, mine is just this little drink offering. Well, let's refresh our minds here and go back to this letter. Go back to... uh, Philippians chapter one. Look at verses 28 through 30. Look what he says here. He's talking to the Philippian church and he says, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have? Paul says, listen, you guys are under intense persecution and struggle in life. He says, I'm looking at your life and you guys are really putting forth the greater sacrifice. He says, I'm just over here in prison. You guys are experiencing the intense persecution even right now. And he says, I'm just that drink offering. And so they were in a hostile environment. They were in an ungodly environment. They were in a pagan culture. They were in a, a, a system that was bringing on them persecution. And so Paul says, yours is the greater sacrifice You are the one suffering as you proclaim Christ in Philippi. Mine is just that pouring out of that drink offering on the top there. Can I say something to you that uh, I think that we need to understand as a church, as believers, this world that we are living in, 
is not going to get better and better and better. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. We are seeing the tide turn where things are turning darker. We are seeing men who are becoming excessively wicked in their practices. We are seeing this right before our eyes. And I don't know how long we have here as believers that are living in America that we have the freedoms that we have to actually preach the gospel and preach it openly and boldly and proclaim it. It may be one day that we as believers see persecution come even in our own lives. Not a matter of if, but a matter of when that will happen. And when that happens, we need to understand that there has been faithful men that have gone before us that have endured, 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 and endured, but yet they did not hide. They did not crawl into a cave somewhere. They faithfully proclaimed Christ in the midst of intense persecution. And so Paul says, your sacrifice is the greater one. What have we sacrificed for Christ? What have we really given up for Christ? Comfort? Things that we kind of consider as being little, you know, troubles. What have we given up? Paul says, your sacrifice is the greater one. My life is just nothing but a drink offering. Let's look at a second thing here about Paul's life, about being a joyful servant. Paul's life was a life of humility. So if we're continuing with this thought here, he's saying, you're the greater sacrifice. I'm just this measly drink offering that's being poured out. Paul is talking about, and he's stressing humility in this letter. He stresses it. And if we are going to be a joyful servant for Christ and serve others, we must remember the importance of humility. Remember what Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter two, verses three and four? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let not each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. You see, Paul's motive in life was to live a life of humility. He's saying, I'm actually practicing what I'm preaching. He's saying, listen, I'm saying you need to live a life of humility and to show you that I'm living a life of humility, your sacrifice is the greater sacrifice. My life is nothing but the small little drink offering that gets poured out. And so this is what Paul desired. This is not a proud man. This is a humble man. And so Paul uses this example of being a drink offering, just really shows his humility that he has. He says, I'm a joyful servant. I'm willing to do this. He says, I'm glad I rejoice because of it. And you know, that's just really contrary to human nature, isn't it? Because I believe that uh, if it were me, I might be saying, Lord, why am I a prisoner? Why do these Philippians over here get to enjoy not being in prison? But here I am, I'm stuck over here. I, I thought I'm supposed to be the one out proclaiming, proclaiming your name. 
Look at me, look at me, I'm over here. Grumbling, complaining. But that's not Paul's attitude, is it? He says, I'm rejoicing about this because your faith is the greater sacrifice. You know, Paul never asked the question, why am I suffering? He never asked the question, why am I in chains? He said, this is my drink offering, a very small one compared to the great one, which you have offered in your service to Christ. We find in the life of Paul, a life of humility, a life of putting others before the needs of his own. Paul displayed this by giving his life daily for others. And I believe this was very characteristic of the life of Paul because he did that, so why? So that others would grow in their faith. I don't think that's something that should uh, be only for the Christian ministers. I believe that all of us are ministers of the gospel. I believe that all of us are to be giving of ourselves so that others <clears throat> would, would grow in their Christian faith. Uh, Paul talked about this in uh, Philippians chapter two, verses three through eight, when he talked about Christ, right? Christ comes down, he takes upon the form of the servant. Why? <clears throat> to become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And because Christ did that, what, how did, what, did, what was the result of that? Well, it enabled you and I now to be able to enter in to the very throne room of God and to have access to the Father through Christ's salvation. And so it was always to benefit others. And so we should be willing to sacrifice ourselves for others' growth in their faith. This means taking time to pray, to listen, to counsel, to encourage, to provoke one another to good works. This means giving of our time, our service, and sometimes even our treasure to help others. Turn with me briefly over to uh, 2 Thessalonians because I want to show you something interesting about Paul's life here. <clears throat> In 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes to, this, uh, to these believers at Thessalonica and he talks to them about how he came to them. <clears throat> and look, listen to me what he says here about how he came to them. Chapter one in uh, 2 Thessalonians, uh, he says this. Oh, I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians. He says in uh, chapter one, verse number five, he says, our gospel came not only to you in word, but also in power in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Uh, he talks about here in verse number nine, chapter one, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the true and living God. He talks about chapter number two. He says, uh, verse number one, for you ourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. <clears throat> verse number three of chapter two, he says, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. He tells here in verse number five, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Verse six, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, through, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. We were gentle among you. 
Verse number nine, verse number eight, we were effectually desirous of you to share not only with you the gospel of God, but listen to this, but also our own selves because you have become very dear to us. Paul says, look, I'm just not living this life to talk. He says, I've given myself everything of about me. I've given it to you because I want you to grow in your faith. And that's what our lives should be. It should be that of a joyous servant giving ourselves over to others to help them grow in Christ. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 14 through 15. Now I am ready to visit you for the third time and I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possessions, but you. Oh, wow. I want you. I want to help you grow. You get strengthened in the faith. And I want to be a joyous servant in that sense. He says, after all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for you. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? Wow. This is the life of a joyous servant that says, I am willing to spend whatever the, whatever the cost so that I may have you, so that I may teach you, so that I may strengthen you, encourage you in the faith. So not only am I willing to spend, but he says, I'm willing to spend my life for you. Completely spend it. Think about everything that you could be doing in life. What dreams, aspirations, goals in life that you could ever do? Does all that matter? In eternity, will that matter? Paul says, what matters is that I am desirous of you, that I'm helping you grow in your faith, that I'm willing to spend and be spent for you. This was a life of humility. He's not putting himself first. He's not saying it's all about me. He's saying, I, it's all about you. And I want to help you and strengthen you and grow you in your Christian faith. And so Paul's life was a life of humility. Paul says, my life is disposable. Again, echoing the words of Jesus dying to self, taking up your cross. How would this church look if all of us were willing to most gladly spend and be spent for others? How would that transform our relationships within the church? That we spend and be spent for others. That's what Paul's life was, was a life of humility. That's what brought him great joy. He says, I rejoice in all of this. Let's look at the third thing. Paul's life was a life of joy. Look what he says here. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul says that even if he was being poured out as a sacrifice, as a result of their faith, he has what? Joy, gladness. 
And verse 18, likewise, and in the same way, they also should be glad and rejoice with him. And so we return to this example of Paul here saying that, listen, no matter what the circumstances, even circumstances of difficulty, trial, sacrifice, beatings, prison, misunderstandings, people saying bad things about him, no matter the circumstances, Paul says, it brings me great joy. I rejoice. Paul looks at each of those as a reason to experience joy and calls others to rejoice with him. Now notice the attitude that he has with this, right? Back to verse 17 is the key. He says, since I am being poured out as an offering, I rejoice. The I rejoice connects to the since I am being poured out. It's the fact that one led to the other. Why are you rejoicing? Do you know why I'm rejoicing? I'm rejoicing because I'm being poured out as an offering. That's what Paul is saying. I'm rejoicing at this. It doesn't bother me that I'm being poured out as an offering for you. And so this really goes back to what Paul said before in working out your salvation without grumbling or complaining. Now, I wanted you to get a hold of this, what Paul is saying here. Paul is not saying I'm rejoicing in spite of my, you fill in the blank. He says, I am rejoicing, why? Because of, you fill in the blank. That's quite a difference. You see, some of us only rejoice in spite of. If everything goes well, if everything's going smoothly, if everything is happening the way it should happen. But then when it doesn't go that way, we don't rejoice. Paul says, I'm rejoicing in because of these things have happened. I'm rejoicing because of the beatings. I'm rejoicing because of the imprisonment. I'm rejoicing because I am a drink offering that is being poured out. And so his life was a life of joy, sacrificial life for Christ. That was the secret that Paul had that brought him great joy. That's why he said, if I live, I live to the Lord. If I die to the Lord, Either way, I am the Lord's. That's why he said, I count not my life dear unto myself. I just want to finish what the Lord gave me to do. And his greatest joy came at the point of his greatest sacrifice because that was his greatest goal. If we recall why Paul wrote this letter is because the believers at Philippi were concerned about him, right? Here he is, he's, in, he's under house arrest. They were concerned about him. So what do they do? They send Epaphroditus to Paul with a financial gift. They say, we want to encourage you, Paul. We want to help you. And that's the result of the letter. Paul's writing the letter to say, thank you. Thank you for this. He says, I'm just overjoyed. But Paul is basically telling him, don't worry about me. I'm still rejoicing. Even though I'm in prison, I'm rejoicing. Why? Because it's serving to the furtherance of the gospel. It's for the greater sacrifice of your faith that my life is being poured out. And so Paul says, I'm glad, I'm rejoicing. I want you likewise to rejoice with me. So what does he mean to rejoice likewise here? Well, you're going through suffering. In fact, these believers at Philippi were. You're going through persecution. You're going through hard times, through opposition. He says, I want you to rejoice as well. Not in spite of, but because of those things. In fact, Jesus even told us, 
He said, when we encounter persecution, when we encounter difficulties, he says, rejoice, rejoice at that. And we're supposed to be joyful servants for those types of things. You know, this letter just really overflows with joy. He talks about joy in uh, Philippians chapter one, verse number four. He says, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. In verse number 18, he talks about joy. What then only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and that I rejoice. Uh, Philippians chapter four, verse number one, he says, uh, therefore my brothers whom I love and long for my joy and my crown. Verse number 10 in uh, Philippians chapter four, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And so Paul rejoices and he is showing his love for them. And he says, I want you to have the same attitude. Rejoice, rejoice. You rejoice. Don't be sorry for me. You rejoice. Why? Because I am sharing this spiritual joy with you. You know, I believe that many Christians have never known the true spiritual joy that has been born out of sacrifice. Like I said, what have we given up for Christ? What have we really sacrificed? Jesus said, if you're not willing to hate mother, father, your life, children, he says, you cannot be my disciple. What have we really given up in order to serve Christ? Can I tell you, there may come a time soon when you will have to give things up in order to serve Christ. And I believe the things that we have in this world, the treasures that we have collected to ourselves, the things that we have, you know, really that's the only thing that this world has that has power over us is the treasure, the trinkets, the, the things that we have. Are we willing to let those things go in order to serve Christ more? There may come a time that we have to. Sacrifice, joyful servant. That's what Paul is calling us to be and to do. And so what in your life brings you the most joy? What is it? What is connected to that word joy in your life? If it's not Christ, then you're, then you're missing out. How can we experience this kind of joy that Paul talks about? How can we have that in our own lives? Where did Paul learn how to do this? Well, he learned it from Christ because listen to what Hebrews chapter 12, verse number two says, Jesus Christ who endured the cross because of the what? The joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, right? That's where Paul learned it from. And that's where we have to learn it from as well. We must take our pattern from Christ. He must be our joy. He must be the one that we are focused in on so that way we can grow in our relationship with Christ. And that is the ultimate sacrifice that is well-pleasing to him. Paul learned it from Jesus. 
Let's look at one last final scripture here and wrap this up. Philippians chapter three, verse number 10. Look what Paul says here. That I may know him. This is one of his prayers. That I may know him. Is that your prayer in life? To be a joyful servant of Christ, that you may know Christ? That you may know him? You say, yeah, Mike, I know about Christ. I've been to Sunday school. No, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about facts about Jesus. We're talking about the intimate personal relationship with Christ that we should be having on a day-to-day basis. As we learn more about Christ, he is revealing more of his love towards us. More facets of his love are being revealed. Paul says, I want to know him. What else, Paul? Oh boy, here we go. The power of his resurrection. I want to know that. I want to know that power. The same power that resurrected Christ from the dead. He says, I want to see that in my own life. What else, Paul? Oh boy, here we go. May share in his sufferings. Ooh, that's a hard one. Oh, I want to know Christ. I want to see his power. Do I really want to share in his sufferings? That's what Paul's desire was. That's what brought him great joy in his life. What else, Paul? Becoming like him in his death. He says, I want my life to be crucified. It's over. It's done. It's no longer about Paul's life. It's about Christ living through him. That's what brought Paul such great joy in his life. So what are we after? What do we seek after? Are we living a joyful servant type life? I believe there's some things that we can learn from the life of Paul that will really help us. Now we'll pick some more of this up here uh, next following weeks here about Timothy and Epaphroditus, but I really want you to think about that. What brings you great joy in life? What's tied to your joy? Is it Christ or is it other things? And are you willing to give those things up? Are you willing to be a drink offering? Are you willing to have humility? Let's pray.